All right, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the IT Kit podcast. My name is Tim Burke, IT evangelist at Spoke. This week, I'm filling in for Manuel, and I am incredibly delighted to be joined by Don Pulowski at University T's, uh, UT's for short. Don's been the CTO there for a while and was gracious enough to join us for the IT Kit podcast. Welcome, Don. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, so um, I guess our stereotypical first question, right? Um, don't mean to date you at all, but what was your first computer? You don't have to date me. I'm I'm still a pretty young guy. Um, my first computer? Don't even know. I remember when I was younger, um, my dad's friend upgrading us to Windows 95 from whatever the heck we were using before then. Oh, and That yeah, was a pretty cool Windows moment. Windows maybe? Yeah, I think it was. It was his work computer. He actually... Uh, did some work from home stuff, back, you know, early on. Oh, wow. Back with uh, dial-up, huh? Yeah. So, you know, before it was cool, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I remember doing that, and, and that was like, that was, that was game-changing for us. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, and so, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit, um, you know, past your Windows 95 days, how you actually ended up in tech. Uh, it, was, it was a long road. So, you know, I was always interested in it as a kid and, and understood it. You know, decently well playing around with different, you know, computer games and all that kind of good stuff. I remember working with one of my neighbors to upgrade my hard drive and some tower I had built and those kinds of things when I was younger. But um, as a professional career, kind of backed into it. I actually, my degree is in uh, structural engineering. Oh, really? Yeah. And I did um, a fair bit of bridge design and inspection here in Cleveland, there's actually a bunch of bridges over the Cuyahoga River that I have personally climbed across, like wow. underneath it, <laughs> to see, um, you know, make sure it was not going to fall down and, and, and kill a bunch of people. I did not like the work at all. I, I wasn't actually cut out for for the heights, I guess. I wouldn't say I'm okay. afraid of heights, but I was not very comfortable climbing across bridges. Yeah, not for and, everyone. Yeah. And the design work itself, uh, while you know interesting and very math heavy, um, I, I just didn't enjoy it. Like the bridge problem has been solved for for a long time. I, I say this anytime someone asks me. So if you hear another podcast I'm on and I say <laughs> that exact line, that's where it's coming from. But you know we we've been building bridges for you know hundreds of years. So I, I needed something different. I needed to get out of it. And a friend of mine told me, hey, why don't you learn, you know, why don't you learn how to code? I can I can teach you how to code and you can start a new career in software. I'm like, that sounds great. So we met up at Panera Bread like once a month for a couple months or once a week for a couple months and learned how to uh, uh, code in Python and Ruby and conned some company into hiring me. <laughs> That's how we all feel, right? Yeah. So... It was it was a lot of fun. I you know I learned a lot. It, the you know this world, this this IT world, programming world, it, it's different every day, and that's really good for my personality. Um, I like new challenges, and so it worked out perfectly. And you know the rest is history, I guess, as they say. That's awesome. I mean, never a dull moment in, in our world, right? No, never. I mean, literally everything is new every single day, and you got to be prepared for that, right? Yeah. So um, on today's episode of the podcast, you know, we're going to be focusing on 
how, in general, the, the function and the role of IT has changed in the last 10 or 15 years, how the perception has changed, and how the relationship with, with executives have changed. And I guess before we actually dive into that, would you mind telling me a little bit about how you actually ended up at UT's? Yeah, so that company that I conned into hiring me, uh, they were you know, pretty well-respected, like software design consultancy here in the area. And UTs was actually one of our clients. And, you know, we were working with them on some certain problems. Um, for example, they, they, had, they had one woman whose job was to copy and paste information from one app to another app uh, all day. And so we told them we can help them solve that problem. And I just, I just fell in love with the company. Um, I fell in love with the mission. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the problems that had to get solved. And, you know, I just approached the, the co-owner one day in the back room. And he loves telling the story. Um, I basically just sat him down. We didn't turn the lights on because I don't know. And I sat him down. I'm like, hey, um, if what I'm about to tell you makes you uncomfortable, you know, feel free to tell me at any time and we can walk away. So he had no idea what was coming. And uh, I said, hey, I, I want to work here. I want to work at this company. You know, I want to be your CTO. I want to build an in-house technology team. And he thought it was a great idea. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, we had an agreement and kind of transitioned from that design and software consultancy over to UTs. That's awesome. And uh, how long have you actually been CTO there? I think I'm going on my fifth year here shortly. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Hey, thanks. Yeah, for a millennial, I'm, you know, four years past my, my due date for switching jobs, I think, right? Yeah, that's some, uh, some crazy loyalty props. <laughs> Especially in software. Hey, one of our company values is loyalty. So there you go. Oh, perfect. There we go. So, so yeah, you've been a technology leader for at least five years. Um, and I think you're at least familiar with kind of the, the more old-fashioned perceptions of IT, right? So let's take a step back maybe 10, 15 years, and then look towards today and towards the future. How do you think the, the actual perception, first off, of IT has changed in organizations? While it is still slow and hard for me to still understand, um, the perception is changing that you actually need to have an IT practice that is part of the business for so long in the past and even now, right? The perception is that, you know, IT is like a service provider. We just hand a bunch of stuff down to the IT folk and they do some stuff that often makes us mad, but I guess we need and it's just this other it's just this other thing, right? Where, you know, it needs to be part of your mission, part of your core competency you need to either have IT or you're going to go away. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to this, this modern cliche, right, that every company is a software company. And mm -hmm. on some level, I think it is a little bit of uh, a cliche. It's a sure. little bit hyperbole. But the, the actual true thought there isn't wrong. Right, I completely agree. I mean, I, I don't even know how you would survive without i mean i guess i know how because my my mother-in-law's company um is really inept at it i guess 
yeah. they're 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 a pretty they're a really solid business. They're just finally starting to come around to it. But they're in a pretty they're in a decent niche and they have a good customer base. But the horror story she would tell me, they had <laughs> up until recently, I think. They, they had what they would call like the email computer in, in, in the email room. Oh, no, 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 no. And someone's job would be to like take the emails and then print them out and then they had them out around the office. So um, oh, not, not to, to one up you a little bit. And I, I really wish that our listeners could see your face right now. But um, <laughs> my mother-in-law knows what my face looks like right now. It, um you know, early on in my career, uh, I was consulting for uh, a large unnamed Fortune 500, and um, their uh, senior legal counsel um, was kind of doing this part retirement thing, working from home. This guy was definitely, you know, older, about to retire, and just was not even anti-technology, but I think just did his best to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And so I think he, th- his team actually took it a step farther that um, in the office, his assistant would print out all of his emails. She would fax them to his home office, and he would sit by the pool, and he would use a fountain pen, an actual <laughs> fountain pen, which is classy. I'll, I'll give him that. Super classy. Um, and he would write out his responses to the emails. He would fax them back to his, assist, uh, his assistant, and then his assistant would log into his mailbox and type out his replies and send them. And, oh, my um, goodness. You know, they say it's not stupid if it works, but this one I may question just a little bit. I mean, I, I guess when you get to a certain point in life and career, you get to just make those decisions for yourself. But, I mean, I feel like at that point you're just trying to be, like, anti, <laughs> anti-tech. You know, it's, not, it's harder to do that than it is to actually embrace the technology. Oh, without a doubt. And um, <laughs> considering this is only our fourth episode, I'll, I'll spare the the listeners' stories of my parents for now. We'll 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 save those as a teaser for for later episodes. But there are Please definitely some stories there. Um, so you know, as you were saying, got a little off on a tangent there. But um, you know, a, as you were saying, the 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 table stakes are that IT just works and it stops getting in the way. Um, but outside of that, outside of the, the strictly what I'll call BAU, like the business as usual, keeping the lights on operational stuff, how do you see the, the role of it changing to actually enable business? Oh yeah. Great question. And I'm, I'm hugely passionate about this. We, we call our, you know, technology practice here at UT's the innovation team and you know, language is powerful, right? And so I see this team as the innovation arm of the company. If we, if we just did what our users asked us to do, and our users can be anyone from our actual end customers who are buying T-shirts from us or custom apparel from us, to the internal users on, say, you know, the operations team or finance team, if we just did what they asked, we we would be in the exact same spot as we were before, except maybe our spreadsheet would be prettier because it was built in app form. We have to innovate. We have to ask why a million times. We have to get to the root cause of the issue that that user is experiencing or the thing they want to fix or the thing they want to improve because often it's surface level what they're trying to explain to you. And if you don't do your due diligence and you don't ask why, you're not going to actually solve any problems. You're going to you're gonna paper over them a little bit. So I drive this into my team's... Um, and my team's psyche as much as possible. We have to innovate. We have to ask why we, as the innovation team, should be in our stakeholders of the thing we are producing. 
right? We talk about stakeholders as as people who kind of make decisions on the piece of software you're trying to deliver or, you know, the hardware thing you're trying to fix. But Yeah, of course. You have to be a stakeholder too. You have to think, why is this happening? How can I fix this for the long haul in an efficient manner? And if you don't do that, you you're you're not gonna you're not gonna grow. You're not gonna be able to compete with your competition. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Now, within the business, do you look for kind of, you know, partners or champions or do you see yourself as your own champion or or maybe a mix of both? It's probably a mix of both. Yeah, I definitely see myself as a champion here. Um, It's on my core list of accountabilities that, you know, I'm responsible to the owners of the company to innovate, to drive labor efficiency, to improve the customer experience. And so I am out there in the teams talking with them on a regular basis, finding out how I can improve their lives and improve the people's lives that they serve. And so I'm championing change all the time, even when they're not looking for it. We do not sit back and wait for someone to say, you know, this thing's broken over here or this thing over here takes me a long time. Can you make it quicker? You know, we're going into these teams and asking questions and trying to figure out how we can innovate for them. At the same time, there are definitely people who think past that and come up to us and say, I have a good idea. You know, how can we like partner up and get this thing done? And so it's definitely a mix of both. And I think it has to be a mix of both. You can't expect everyone to solve your problems. And if you want to be, you know, worth anything to the company or to your customers, you got to go out there and find it for yourself. No, I, I really like that approach. Now, you know, going back, I guess, to that, that example you had earlier of that employee that was doing nothing but copy and paste, you know, that that's some of the low-lying fruit, right? You know, you start mm-hmm. on day one, you look at that, and you're like, okay, this this process is terrible. We can automate this. Um, but outside of those kind of quick and easy wins that I think, you know, a lot of our listeners probably already, already know, have already executed on, um, what's some of the more unique things that you've done so far? Oh, goodness. This is such a good question. Oh, some of the more unique things that we've done. So... I'll start off down this road and let's see if I get to a good answer. Sure. Every um, every order we do here is custom. We don't stock anything. We don't have standard designs. I mean, we, we have a design gallery. We want you to pick from it. So like totally just in time. Yes. Everything. Yeah. So w- when when you come, say, you, you know, you're part of Delta Gamma Sorority and you've got an event coming up and you want this shirt to be way better than all the other sororities that are gonna be at this event, right? And you you come to us with an idea. We have artists that that take that idea from just an ephemeral thought to an actual physical piece of art. And then we pick out what kind of apparel it should be on and we have that apparel delivered to us. And then we have this amazing team in our production facility that you know does screen printing or does embroidery and just creates that and we send it on its way. And we do this within seven to 10 days We'd like it to be sooner, um, but every single thing is custom in that in that fashion. So it, it, it's it's a unique problem, right? You know, it's not the most unique problem. Other people do custom, but for us, a lot of things that are on the shelf don't work for us. You know, a lot of companies will just use Shopify or they'll pick out an ERP from Oracle or whatever. So we we've had a hand roll software the whole time, um, and I try really hard. <laughs> I don't want to write software, right? To me, software is a liability. Um, if we can pick something off the shelf and it works for us, I want to do that all day. And so I look once a year to, to find something that's going to work for us. But what we've done, which I think I guess is the answer to your unique question, is we've more or less created 
our own ERP that runs this entire company. It's not just a front end for customers to buy stuff. It is that. It's also a way for them to pay. It's a way for them to submit art requests to us. It's a way for our artists to communicate back to them, say, hey, how about this? What about this color? If you do this, it might cost you more money. It's a way for our campus managers to get pricing for these things and relay them to our customers. It's how our operations team facilitates orders and our finance team makes sure you know we're collecting the money on things. And so what we've done here, it drives the entire company. And so it's, 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 it's a unique problem and it's been a lot of fun because you know still to this day, I've been doing this for five years with this team. I can still close my eyes and spin around and point at something random in this building and deliver value on it. Well, I mean, hopefully that never ends, right? Because yeah, if, it's the dream. <laughs> if if you run out of that magic, you may run out of a job, right? This is true. I'm trying not to automate myself out of a job, you know, but I don't I don't know that it can end. We we're, we are we try to innovate whenever we can as a company, not just you know IT related. And so I know for a fact that this business will look different in three years and in five years, and that's going to build a whole new slew of problems for us to solve. And we're never going to stop doing that. Mostly because our co-founder, you know, is a crazy visionary, and one out of ten ideas sticks and it, it does really well, right? And so we go after those, and we're very quick to change. We're we're you know agile, not in the capital letter A, but in the lower letter A sense, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. So um, l- let's actually take a, a look into your your relationship with the the co-founder and the executive team. So. Um, you know, obviously, you kind of asked out of the blue for the CTO job. Um, that happened, yeah. That, that's a great story <laughs> on its own. Um, but how how often do you actually interact with them? You know, do you, do you actually have a seat at the table? Oh, every day. I, I have the proverbial seat at the table. Um, you know, we we meet as a, a, we call it the SLT, Senior Leadership Team. We all meet once a week. That includes, you know, the, the co-founders have, you know, roles in the company. One's essentially the CEO. One's essentially the president, if you will. Um, and, you know, marketing and art and production and operations, finance, we all meet together once a week and we solve problems as a group. No one goes off in the weeds and solves their own problems. We work on them together. I don't have a finance background, but you better believe that I'm, invested in and commenting on and offering suggestions of what's going on in finance and finance is doing the same for me. We have a very good team that does conflict well and has a high degree of trust in one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five dysfunctions, the team style, all, all, all those good things. We do it really well. And so I, I'm at the table. I'm, I'm talking to the owners daily on different things that are going on and, and not even just it. It's about everything that's happening in the company. And I think, you know, I don't know that it has to be that way for everyone, but the benefits are enormous if you have IT plugged into the company beyond a superficial service-oriented piece of the of the company. Oh, totally. And in, in some ways, I mean, you're totally upending the model, right? Because back in the day, IT was only really thought about only really recognized during outages, during incidents. Um, <laughs> right. You know, IT became a four-letter word. And, uh-huh. you know, at times we, we were known for being literally whatever the, the opposite of a catalyst is for business innovation. You know, it, we, we were great at sitting in our chairs and saying no and saying, nope, policy, we can't do that. I'm like, oh, nope. Like, we, we only use Microsoft here. We can never go by that. 
Um, and, you know, clearly that has changed. And I feel like we, we're getting to a point where our, our end users, our stakeholders are becoming more comfortable to come to us with problems. But at the end of the day, I still feel like uh, a really good IT leader needs to still be proactive to find those problems because by the time they come to us, it may not be too late, but by the time they come to us, something is already pretty off, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's almost, you know, you have to picture it like preserving the crime scene, right? If, if all the evidence is gone. <laughs> not, not an analogy I would have used, but sure. Yeah, well, you know, think 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 that the 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 big bug that is wreaking havoc, but everyone thinks it's just business as usual and I don't really want to report it. It takes too much time and by the time we get to it, you know, the root cause is gone and now there's all this just mayhem laying everywhere. And you got to dig through that and try to find the problem and solve it. But yeah, maybe that is a bad and I don't know. I kind of no, like no, it crime I, scene. I, actually, it's growing <laughs> on me. It, it really is. Um so, you know, I mean, fundamentally in business, especially in modern business, you know, it's it's about the the capital that you earn. It's about the relationships that you invest in. Could you just talk a little bit about how you and your team focus on building trust, both with your end users and then with, you know, your, your higher up stakeholders? Sure. I mean, first and foremost, it's communication uh, and you know, in, in, in the world of IT, sometimes IT folk get a bad rap for being able to communicate poorly. And I would say that's mostly founded. I mean, that that's that's often true. It happens on my own team, right? Where we forget to, we just think someone understands something. And, you know, that extra email is like kind of a pain in the butt. And we don't want to send it out. But if you're communicating early, you're communicating often, then, you know, that's the that's how you build trust right there. It's as simple as that. And if you can do that, you know, are you familiar with, you know, the, the triangle of trust and conflict and results and all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Functions? yeah. So that, that first layer I firmly believe is, is communication. If you, you communicate, that's when you can build trust with one another. Yeah. And I mean, historically, I, I personally will admit that earlier in my career and especially working in larger organizations as, as an IT team, I've noticed some absolutely abysmal communication. Yeah, I mean, it happens everywhere. A lot of people just take for granted that, oh, that other person knows what I'm talking about, or they don't really need to know that's happening. And, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I've done that, right? I've been that guy. And, I mean, there was a <laughs> there was a time where I did that to our embroidery team like three times in a row, and it was really terrible, and I felt really bad about it. So I made an effort to be really crystal clear with that team. Of course, we didn't work on much more for that team, so <laughs> the policy <laughs> didn't really go anywhere. But and the point remains the same. Like You have to think about everyone that's going to be impacted by the things you're doing, by the decisions you're making. Now, I will also say here that it's not and doesn't always have to be or should be like a democratic process, right? No, At no, some no. point, you have to make a call. You have to be willing to say no and move on. But at least communicate to those users why you're saying no and close that loop. 
Yeah, I mean, the the reasoning behind a no is always really important, right? So, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, you guys, for example, right, you're taking orders online, you're doing payment processing, you have some sort of PCI DSS you deal with, right? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that, you know, that is an example of a non-negotiable, right? You know, UTs cannot lose customer credit card numbers. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we try to abide by that at all times. <laughs> that would be very bad for us. So, you know, I mean, my, my point basically is there, there are valid reasons to say no. But Absolutely. Go, going back to what you said, you know, that, that no has to be accompanied by a really good justification of, you know, this isn't best practice. We won't be able to pass our audit next year. That's not a bad justification versus, no, this is a terrible idea. Right. I mean, you're just going to alienate people if you don't explain the no. I mean, no is powerful. You got to do no. It's how you innovate. It's how you move forward. It's how you work in the most important things. But yeah, if you don't explain it, you're not going to build any friends. It's going to be really hard to do that next thing with that team. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. You know, one thing that I, I always explain to, to family and friends, um, you know, when I was leading IT two jobs ago at a, a quick-growing, like, 200-person SaaS startup, I actually did the math when we were doing some kind of disaster recovery and business continuity planning. And I came to the realization that if I screwed up or my team screwed up and, you know, we, we took down, um, like, a management tunnel, you know, we, we killed an office firewall or something. And, you know, we, first off, in IT, are one of the few teams that if we actually screw up, the company can stop working entirely. You know, it, if, if HR is gone for a day, not the end of the world, you know, but if, if IT screws up, not only is it very visible – but it has a huge impact on the business. And so by my math, you know, every hour that we were down and, you know, we had a bunch of very well-paid, very bright developers, you know, we'd be losing something like $15,000 an hour. And that, that was kind of, you know, that was the weight on my shoulders. That was my cross to bear. But having that actually quantified helped me go to management and say like, Hey, I want to build in this redundancy, you know, on a, you know, I, I want to roll a separate fiber line. I want to bring in more battery backups. I want to reevaluate our DR plan because, I mean, truly at the end of the day, it, every bit of company operations goes through IT, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, 100%. This comes down to also, you know, knowing your audience, the, you know, someone in accounting or the CFO would love to see that spreadsheet that you built equating hours spent IT wise to dollar saved, you know, company wise, um, where, you know, someone else might be more interested in, in more of an ephemeral thought on how it could just save your team time and increase throughput. You might not always be able to put numbers to that going back to communication and knowing your audience, being able to to provide the, the evidence that they most need to give you a yes or give you a thumbs up or support you. If you can, know that going into the conversation, you're going to be coming out of the conversation a lot happier. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, You know, personally, I actually studied communications in college. And that whole know your audience was just absolutely drilled into me. And, you know, I I know of some execs that love like a a two-sentence Slack message, you know, once a day. I know some execs that like, like a lengthy email with dashboards, you know, twice a month. And at the end of the day, I think one of IT's larger responsibilities is doing our best to meet people where they want to be instead of telling them where they need to go. Yeah, or or at least tricking them into going where they need to go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, a little bit of uh, inception is required in the pr- yeah. in the uh, profession, huh? Sometimes you need to ask forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> no, no, no. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right. Not to cut you off, but just wanted to throw to a very quick word from our wonderful sponsors at Spoke. We will be right back. We live in an on-demand world. We want immediacy and convenience on top of personalization and transparency. Spoke is the only internal ticketing system built specifically to serve the on-demand workplace. Through innovative design, Spoke's made the process of creating and responding to tickets pain-free. Coworkers can make requests wherever they work, be it text, email, or in Slack. Companies using Spoke with Slack see 70% of their requests come through Slack. With Spoke, up to 50% of requests can be handled automatically. Spoke will triage and categorize the requests without human intervention. Get started today at askspoke.com. That's askspoke.com. Okay, we are back. So, Don, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, I guess some of the, the more modern IT trends, um, but would you mind giving me an example of, I guess, a more difficult ask that you've gotten from someone in the business? Hmm. And you can leave names out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Anything that has a dedicated deadline, I'm allergic to. Okay. I I hate deadlines with a burning passion. In fact, when I first came here to UT's, they were introducing me to the team, which was very small at the time. We all fit into this one uh, room we call the Cleveland Room, and there's maybe 20 people. And the very first question I got someone from someone was, you know, when's this thing you're talking about going to be done? <laughs> and I pounced. I'm like, I'm glad you asked. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I was like, what I can promise is to communicate with you on a weekly basis on our progress and where things are going and what's priority for the team and maybe where we can cut scope to get something done more quickly. So there has been, and I've had to pound this into people's heads over the years because deadlines, okay, I know everyone's rolling their eyes at me right now, Deadlines are good for some people. Good for a lot of people, I guess, right? But, I mean, there's that... What is it? The Peter's... Is it the Peter Principle? Basically, your work will fit whatever deadline you give yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Is that that the Peter... I don't know. Anyways. Uh, Whatever it is, yeah. Whatever it is. One of those things. So, So, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for if you're doing good work and you should maybe add that next little feature or you should add that next little, you know, tweak to the network or whatever that you should just do that regardless if it's an arbitrary June 17th deadline or not. There are few things, accounting is the exception here, that truly need to be done by an exact date. Like, truly. Some, you know, one, one thing we try to do here a lot, our, our fiscal year runs July 1 through June 30th and mm-hmm. matches up with the university schedule, right? Yeah. We have, um, you know, we have various conferences or whatever. We, we always try to time, like, rollouts of things to the conferences so we can explain them. And, and I get it. I'm, I totally get it. But if that means we have to cut scope on something we thought would be really cool, you know, where's the trade-off, right? Where's the balance? Now, I will say that I'm all about shipping. 
ship, 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 ship mm-hmm. as early as often as you can. And I'm all about saying no. And I love cutting scope. I love deleting code. I'm all in. So I much rather manage the scope of the project and call the deadline whatever it ends up being as long as we're delivering value and constantly shipping. Now, this works in theory or only works for the handful of people, and I get that. Um, So I'd say the more difficult things for me is when someone says, hey, we need this certain feature done by July 1. And And they tell you, you know, on June 3rd. (laughs) (laughs) Give it enough time, yeah, I'll hit the deadlines. And we hit deadlines all the time. Like, we do it, and... And my team actually, for the most part, prefers having some kind of deadline to shoot for. And and I will play whatever role my team needs me to play. Um, but personally, it aches me when they're like, June 3rd. I'm like, why? Because it's the Monday four weeks from now. Well, okay. <laughs> you, you, you have a point there, right? Of there's... There are definitely some some differences between truly arbitrary deadlines that I found certain folks in the business love setting um, for no reason whatsoever. And then, of course, those certain non-negotiable deadlines of, you know, finance month close has to happen by X, quarter close has to happen by Y. Um, And I guess going back to what you said earlier, you know, that you guys run agile but with a lower A, um... You know, I, I find a lot of, I guess, cargo culting around Agile and around Scrum and around, you know, all sorts of things of continuous delivery, test-driven development. I mean, it, you know, one of my favorite things is to grab a beer and then just play buzzword bingo sometimes with vendors marketing um, because we, we live in a very buzzword-heavy world. But, um, you know, I, I think there is value in delivering at least an MVP and then iterating on it. And in general, again, listeners won't see the high five there, but I did. Um, but in general of literally changing the business expectations, right? Because in a lot of older school IT organizations, everything was waterfall and things are likely to go off the rails about half the time when it comes to major projects People don't get involved soon enough. The communication's not there, et cetera. And so, you know, while I think some of the the Agile and Scrum is certainly overhyped these days, there's a balance to be found of saying, like, yes, we can at least give you something that will work by August 1st, and then we'll focus on the polish later. And I guess just managing those expectations and getting that continuous feedback instead of just dumping something on someone's lap in a year, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you said so many good things that, yeah, I was high-fiving you, even though the podcast <laughs> listeners can't see it. Um, so where to start? So we've, we've like, as a, as a company overall, I'd say we're just an, an agile company. We can move we can move fast. We, we try to maintain, like, the speedboat mentality instead of, like, you know, the battleship mentality, if you will. Um, as an IT team or, you know, I guess more specifically a development team, um, we've done all the things, you know, we, we've, except for waterfall, cause just stop it. Um, yeah, that, that's so <laughs> 2004. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done, we've done, you know, I guess uppercase agile, whatever that is. We've done scrum like to the book, like the whole team read the book and we did scrum. Um, we've followed, uh, the methodology that, that Basecamp has put out and published on, um, 
And I'd say they've all worked and they've all not worked. And the best thing you can do as an organization or as a team is experiment all the time. Never settle. And that is my favorite agile principle, right? I I feel like that, if you literally just take that away, you will be so much more successful of, you know, iterate, try wild and wacky things, fail fast, and don't be afraid to, to walk away. It's, it's so key. In effect, you know, uh, the one co-founder here comments on it regularly with me. He's like, I love how you're always testing something new, trying something out. You don't settle. I mean, my team changes roles a lot. The way we work changes a lot. How we communicate changes a lot. Now, that's a lot of change and people are allergic to change. So you have to be very deliberate about it. You have to be communicate well about it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but you can't settle. I mean, the, the makeup of the team changes. A new person joins the team. You may have a different competency now that you want to highlight and, or you may want to move someone over here. You have to keep experimenting with how you work and, and with what you're doing. You know, the, the, what, the way we work now, I'd say is, is more cl- is close to how you know the base camp the company works and again what they've like published out on but we've also put our own spin on it and within that framework iteration is key we are running you know six week batch cycles i would call them not really sprints because mm-hmm. sprint is like a, a week or two right but within that batch we said get to mvp code wise as fast as humanly possible like four days a week. Like don't go past two weeks if you can help it. Just get something out. Let's get it through QA. Let's get it in front of the stakeholders. And then let's iterate. Let's do another one. And let's iterate again if we want to. But if we can get something out as fast as humanly possible, then then we can improve upon it. And that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. And I actually pulled it up so I can remember. remember. It's from Seth Godin. Go for it. While waiting for perfect, you've permitted magical to walk on by, not to mention good enough, amazing, and wonderful. Waiting for the thing that cannot be improved and cannot be criticized keeps us from beginning. Merely begin. Now, I, I need to take a breath there because that's that's pretty deep. I, I, I kind of love deep. it. Um, right? You know, I've seen variations on those. Um, you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough or mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I love how that quote goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, and I, I feel like you're totally right. Um, you know, delivering those MB- MVPs very quickly, not being afraid to fail, but something else you said really piqued my attention. So I want to step back for a second. Um, you know, you said that your, your team has a lot of flexibility in their roles and that, you know, it roles and responsibilities, titles, all of those are, are fairly fluid. And again, I feel like that's something that's much more modern in IT, um, you know, if you started 20 years ago, you would show up at Big Corp and they would say, you are writing unit tests for the next two years. And there's nothing more depressing than that of not knowing even, f- forget about upward mobility, but even sideways mobility, um, that, you know, folks interests change their, their core competencies and, you know, their current skills can always change. And, you know, some of my best hires personally, I've hired for one thing and then realized they were way better at something else. Absolutely. I mean, you know, variety is the spice of life. There's truth to that. And I'm really proud of, 
I guess what we'd call our retention rate on within IT. I mean, I haven't like no one's quit or walked away from this team yet. Wow. Yeah, I'm super proud of it. And Kyle, I'm watching you. You're not leaving, buddy. <laughs> You've been here Shout the out. longest. <laughs> Shout out to Kyle, whoever Kyle Shout is. Shout out to Kyle. Um, and, I, and I think there's something to giving people the room to explore and grow and change. Now, like a lot of, a lot of people come into their careers post-college looking for growth, right? I'm going to start out as this like sales associate. I'm going to move up and then become like a sales leader and whatever. In software, it's a little tighter. It's like, I'm going to write software. And then maybe I'll lead the team, right? That's the mobility. But within those, there is so much room to learn something new. And I think in order to be a successful developer, to be in the job in the first place, or be a successful IT admin, you have to have that ability, that innate like yearning to learn, right? And so if you have that, you are a successful developer, but you also have to recognize that that person has that, and you have to give them new things in, in, in new areas to try, right? With Kyle, he's expressed interest in doing some more DevOps stuff, right? He's like a senior Ruby developer for us. Oh, cool. Yeah, and he's going to go do it, right? We've, we've dipped our toe in it before. We kind of stepped back, and then he wants to get back into it. So I'm like, let, let, let's try it, right? Um, we, we hired a person on our team that started out in the operations department of the company, and she went into doing like product stuff, project management stuff, and now she's writing code and it's amazing. And when that, as that's happening, you, we, we've spun other team members around to do different things, try new stuff and, and restructure the team to, to work within the framework that we're trying to get, you know, code written or features out or, you know, various other things done. And so again, like you have to experiment and I think people appreciate that. Like they don't, no one wants to be a cog in the system, right? People want to know that they're actual people and they can do different things and they're capable of different things. If you give that to them, you know, they'll be much happier in their work. And if there's one thing that I can teach anyone, it's if you take care of your people, the work comes for free. That That's actually really nice. Um, that, that may be my next tattoo. <laughs> Perfect. You, you think I'm kidding, but I might not be. Um, so... You know, I think we've already touched on something that, that I wanted to talk about is generally in IT, the transition between or really the growth from being just an individual contributor, doing your IC stuff to stepping up to management. And, you know, I mean, clearly you've been managing a team for a while and the team works and seems to be happy. Um, but I guess going back to literally hiring in the first place, do you have like a top three, top four things that you look for in new hires? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's three things I look for. I'm looking for someone who's motivated, someone who has demonstrated the ability to learn, and someone who is nice. If you give me those three traits in a person, I can have them do whatever we need them to do on the team. And it's as simple as that. If you can look for those things, I, I believe you can d develop a very successful team. That, that, that's awesome. Are you hiring? All the time. <laughs> Just don't tell the CFO. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, shout out to the UT's job board, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so outside of that, I, I feel like almost everyone in IT or in technology in general starts off as an individual contributor. And then some decide to go into management, some don't. 
Um, and I think that there are different tracks for different people. But for those that are listening that are maybe thinking about joining that management track, any other advice you'd like to offer them? Sure. Um, you know, the one would be don't feel like you have to go the management track route just because. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think I think we miss. I think there's room for another title in in our in our world, and it's master professional, right? You are just a master of your craft. You're the tech lead or whatever. You don't necessarily have to manage people to, to grow. Um, but yeah, if you're looking at that that leadership world and you think you you know you have that ability, um, communication and organization are are super key here. You have to, again, we've talked about communication so much, but it is that important. It really, truly is. Next, you have to be organized. You have to know You know, have to know how to take a to-do list and actually get these things on the to-do list done, right? Um, you have to know, you know who your audience is again when you're communicating. You have to be able to trust your team to get the work done. Delegation is huge. I know oh, way yeah. too many leaders that think they are the only ones that can get it done and they do it themselves and they refuse to give it those reins. I am the direct opposite. Um, I think I'm doing it. Like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow and I was done, my team would go on and our work here would continue. University tees is only losing me. Now yeah. some may say like, Oh, that means like they're going to just come fire you because you're not necessary. No, that's not true. Like they're losing me. They're losing my abilities, but they're not losing the output of my team. Everyone will be able to step up and take care of the things that get done. And if you're not doing that, if you're not, if you are so integral to your team as a leader that the team would not function without you, you're doing a disservice to both yourself and the company at large. Oh, without a doubt. You know, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, just delegation is key. Like communication, organization, the ability to delegate, um, you, you have to focus on those. You have to learn how to do those well. Yeah. I mean, that, that bus factor, that bus principle is a really interesting one. You know, at, at my last job, the, the company was part owned by a multinational tech conglomerate with a colorful logo that has two O's. And I, I wonder who that is. Yeah, um, I have no idea. And they I'll actually, Google that later. Yeah. Um, they actually had a Google Sheet um, that had a formula that allowed you to calculate your own bus factor. And that's what it was called internally. Um, that, you know, I personally prefer to frame it as the lottery problem because I would much rather have you win the lottery and never come back than get hit by a bus. But okay, same principle. Yeah. Um, that, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're, you're more than a cog in the wheel, but you're also replaceable. And there is some balance to be found there. Like you do important work, but other people can do important work too, and you can't be so integral. You know, if if you take a two-week vacation and something breaks and you're not available, then something is wrong with the operations or the processes or your team to begin with. You know, it. I, I personally feel, and I champion this to everyone that I talk to, that every IT leader should be able to take a two-week vacation and turn their phone off and not come back to a burning building. Absolutely. You, and the whole team should be that way, right? My director of development should be able to go away or my IT admin should be able to go away and things should continue. And that, that goes into that fluidity we've talked about, experimenting with how your team works and operates in your processes every, you know, so people can fill in those gaps. We, we were, we've been talking a lot about um, maternity and paternity leave here and we just changed our policy to, you know, to 
being 12 weeks for maternity and paternity, which... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's really near and dear to my heart. You know, I missed out with my kids on it, but I oh. want, you know, other fathers and mothers to have that opportunity. And it, the fact that it's not the standard blows my mind. But anyways, that's a different podcast, probably. Yeah, we'll but, save that for episode five. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it goes to show, like, your team should still be able to function if someone's away for 12 weeks. And we talked about that as an SLT, and we talked about it in my team level. And if I lose, and we just lost someone um, for a couple of weeks, and, and things were fine, and we were able to step up and, and, and take that person's place, and, and things move on. It's because we test and experiment and are fluid and, and you know, aren't stuck with rigid ways of doing things. No, I, I, I really do love that. Um, you know, the, the more modern idea generally of doing, I guess, same maternity and paternity leave, first off, is awesome. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, quote unquote losing, because I don't really like that word either. But yeah, <laughs> I'm very morbid, I guess. Maybe I need to be more positive in my language. <laughs> we'll say um, missing out on a team member for three months right. um, is, is a great test. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, it, after three months, you might come back and you might have missed a couple things. You might be rusty on, you know, something that happened last month, but there's still incredible value there. And I think. In some ways, the best teams will go will grow stronger in your absence. One hundred percent. I mean that again allows people the room to learn something new, or you know, at the very least, figure out what that other person was contributing to this team. Like what part? Of, you know, if you look, if you think of the team as a wheel. And they're a little slice of the pie. Well, like, you know, what flavor is their slice? Like, what are they contributing? <laughs> and and to look for those, you know, if those opportunities don't just come along because someone had a baby, like, force yourself to take those opportunities. You know, what we'll do is, you know, send a team member away for a week to go. We call it DPCL. Our purpose as a company is to develop people, change lives. DPCL. Oh, awesome. I like that. And so we call them, at least on my team, uh, DPCL weeks, where you just take a week, you go disappear, you go learn a new technology. Um, one of the girls on, on our team went and built an iOS app, and they just do something different, right? That's an opportunity for you to figure out, well, what was that person contributing on a day-to-day basis? They're going to learn something else to grow their career. Someone else can step into the role and say, like, Oh, like they were QAing. All right, I'm going to QA now. Wow, this is crazy. I really respect your ability to QA things. Well, and that actually, you know, going back to that whole idea of kind of role flexibility, um, you know, I think something we missed out is your point that you just brought up of the fact that one of the best ways to get empathy for coworkers is by doing their job. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, that that's a super powerful statement. And everyone should think like that. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it, every once in a while, um, in every org that I've been at, I've, I've done tier one help desk for a week. I've done it for two weeks. Um, you know, it, I feel like for every good leader, I mean, it's that, that stereotypical leading from the front of pulling, not pushing, um, and not being afraid to, to, to step into anything and to have that kind of boots on the ground kind of knowledge. It, it's really easy to to end up in, you know, the, the glass corner office with the ridiculously large iMac. And, you know, everyone knows the stereotype, right? Um, walking around with AirPods all day, not making eye contact with people. Um, but actually just stepping out and and doing what your team does 
seeing how they interact with your users, with your stakeholders, with everything, gives you so much more empathy, right? Of It's so easy to say like, oh, tier one help desk, it's not that hard, just tell everyone what the Wi-Fi password is. Well, it's actually a, yeah, it's actually a lot more than that. And I've found times in my career where I've kind of forgotten that. I've taken it for granted until I step back down and I'm like, oh, I actually have a renewed respect for this role, this function. Yeah, it goes for leadership as well as just, you know, team members that work alongside to step in. And I can think of a number of examples when (coughs) um, one woman on my team was on her honeymoon, um, stepping up and, and doing her job was, I mean, it was... It was the real deal, man. And you you take for granted sometimes what these team members are doing when you're not even paying attention. And, and I will I will tell you often I'm I'm not paying attention a lot. I, I trust them fully to get things done. And so there's things that they do that I don't even know about. And when that happens, and they write me up a quick document like here's the stuff you got to take care of, or questions start coming your way because she's out. It's like oh my gosh, thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Don, I'm, uh, I'm staring at 11 minutes of battery because I, f- I forgot to bring my charger into the room. Um, you know, I guess in general to, to wrap it up, um, you know, and any parting thoughts? I, I, I think we, we really went deep on management and communication. Um, but I guess parting thoughts overall of, you know, how IT has changed in the next or in the past 10 or 15 years you know, maybe how do you think it's going to look like in, in the next five or 10 years? I think as IT leaders and IT team members, you have to go create that seat at the table for yourself. And it's not just for yourself. It's not just for technology. It's, it's for the company, the organization, and all the people that work at the organization overall. If you can get into those teams, shadow with them, maybe, again, maybe do their job and see what's happening on a day-to-day basis and help them innovate and solve problems. You're going to make their lives better. You're going to serve your customers better, which really should be the lens you're looking at IT through is how we're helping our customers have a better experience. Um, you know, our, our, our tagline, our niche is to deliver an amazing custom apparel experience. And so I'm thinking about that whenever we're doing anything in IT. It's like, how are we delivering an amazing custom apparel experience? And so doing that job and helping people innovate, getting a seat at the table, being a part of the management decisions from the very top is what I truly believe you need to do in order to take your organization to the next level and find that next gear in the, you know, the transmission, if you will. That, that's, that's really awesome. Um, Don, I am so happy we covered all of these topics. Um, I, I wish, and I'm sure we probably could have gone on for another hour or two, but <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a doubt. podcast format. Um, and, uh, I guess my, my final question for you, and we'll keep it light. Um, what's the favorite, your personal favorite t-shirt you've ever seen ship from UTs? Oh, goodness. Um, I actually like the one I have on right now. I wore it purposely. It's, it's very simple on the front and very simple on the back. It's, it's a simple design, but that's the one I personally own. My favorite ever. Uh, we have this one artist, David, that he, he hand draws things and oh my gosh, some of the stuff that this guy can create is amazing. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's just so much, 
I can't pick. I don't know. There's just so many good things. There's so many. We have amazing art team here. And the stuff they can dream up, given a very small amount of information from a customer, the fact that they can do, I mean, it blows my mind. I can't, I mean, I can't do stick figures. <laughs> and so it's a whole different world that I am just so amazed by. So I don't know. I guess I'll go with the t-shirt I have on now because I like its simplicity. But there's just so much cool stuff coming out of here. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Don, so much for your time. And uh, super quick plug, if you're looking for awesome t-shirts, I have heard this place called UT's Does Them. And if you're looking for a new help desk, I heard of this thing called Spoke, which is kind of an awesome machine learning powered ticketing and knowledge base. So um, buy some T-shirts, check out Spoke and check out uh, the next episode of the IT Kit podcast dropping very soon. Thanks again, Don. Thank you. It was so much fun. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks again.